Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. I'm Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me for this Dischem Medical Monday. Hopefully, you know, you'll stay with me for the next hour. So it's this time of the year, a lot of people thinking about going away. And uh, perhaps you're not traveling abroad. Perhaps you're going to be traveling up Africa. Because let's face it, if there's a continent that has to be the most magnificent and the most majestic in the world, it is for certain Africa. And within Africa, South Africa has to be the number one destination. Travel locally. You won't you won't believe the things you will see and experience. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So uh, I thought we need to talk about the, the things that can happen when you are traveling in terms of your health. I remember years ago meeting a guy he had been uh, traveling. He was an avid traveler up Africa. He got bitten by a hoho, some kind of hoho, unknown, and this thing started... It, it, it was quite revolting what happened to him. That it was laying eggs under his skin and all sorts of things. And uh, it really took him a very, very, very long time to get over that. There are lots of things that happen when we travel to destinations where we are not sure of the wildlife and the things that can happen to us. For, forewarned is forearmed. Let, let's not let ignorance ruin our holidays and our travels and that spirit of adventure within all of us. I've invited into studio Professor Lucille Bloomberg. She's an infectious disease specialist. Uh, she's a South African malaria advisory GP and an honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. Good morning, Lucille. How are you? Yes, good morning. Looking forward to holidays. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> and then uh, also... Professor David Moore joins us. He's an associate professor and academic head of pediatric infectious diseases. He's from the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. And he also joins us. Good morning. How are you, David? Hi, Cathy. It was really, oh, very hi, nice. Kathy, really good to be with you this morning. Oh, it's Thank wonderful. You. Thank you so much for your time. So um, I actually would like to start with you in terms of the vaccinations that we in South Africa have as children. How do those cover us for life? Because they are, that's, that's how those vaccinations work, right? It's not like the COVID vaccination, which just mitigates your symptoms. Right. Thanks, Cathy. As, as you correctly stated, I, I'm working in the public sector um, of South, the South African healthcare system, um, which has got a very robust um, immunization program to protect the little ones that are born in South Africa against uh, a very uh, large array of dreaded diseases and uh, really one of the miracles of the 20th century in terms of the advancements of public health and prevention of infections and prevention of childhood illness and death has been the um, the development uh, and dissemination of very robust and safe vaccines which have helped to prevent children from becoming ill from an array of uh, viral and bacterial infections. Um, so I have been uh, very privileged in my 20-year career as a pediatrician working in the public health sector of South Africa to see the amazing advances in the uh, 
the the um, the healthcare the status of health of the children that I care for. I work at Prasani Baragwana Hospital, which is a big hospital in Soweto, and I think that I can quite uh, of, of proudly state that um, we have really seen the the, the fruits of a, a robust uh, immunization program, which has been developed through the uh, very active research capabilities of numerous pediatricians and basic scientists that have been working across South Africa to make sure that we optimize our immunization program. So the, the, the vaccines that we, we've implemented target the, the major viral and bacterial illnesses, which in the early part of the 20th century and up to the 1980s were causing thousands of children to become ill and even to die. And uh, thankfully, now that we're in the 21st century with access to these vaccines, which are preventing illness, we're seeing children living longer and healthier lives. Thank God. Thank God. So what are the vaccinations that we have as, you know, as young human beings? We have the the BCG, right? We have polio. Are are these still being administered? Are there any that we've dropped? No, so the the only vaccine that was actively incorporated into the uh, expanded program of immunization, which was developed by the World Health Organization in the early 1970s, um, was this has been the smallpox vaccine, obviously, that was discontinued in 1979, because at that stage, the World Health Organization had uh, announced the eradication of smallpox the wild circulation of smallpox across the globe. So that's the only vaccine which we've been able to drop to date. There are still um, laboratory um, uh, stashes of smallpox vaccine which are uh, distributed across the globe. Um, And there are still stockpiles of smallpox vaccine um, in case smallpox ever were to resurge and become a, a global health threat again. Um, but to date, that has been the only vaccine which we've been able to to um, remove from the vaccine armamentarium. You quite correctly state that BCG, um, which is a vaccine which was first introduced in France in the early 1920s, um, and has been shown to protect against the most severe forms of tuberculosis, especially in high burdened tuberculosis countries such as South Africa. Um, that BCG is actually one of the first vaccines that babies get on day two or three of life or when they're about to leave the nursing home. And the other vaccine, which is commonly administered to babies uh, as their first dose within the first few days of life is the oral polio vaccine which is slowly being phased out across the world as we're achieving um, some success in terms of eradicating polio as a global health threat. Polio really is the the next disease which the World Health Organization is trying to target for eradication. And hopefully within the next five to 10 years, we'll we'll be able to state that polio has joined the ranks of smallpox as having been eradicated from circulation. So interesting uh, because what you're saying is contrary to the things that I've been reading about a resurgence of polio because so many parents are opting not to vaccinate their children. I mean, it was three years ago that a friend of mine actually lost her her teenage son to measles. 
um, because somebody hadn't vaccinated. So within that yeah. circle, there wasn't the herd immunity. Um, is that not this? Is that not what's happening with polio? That we are seeing yes. resurgence in certain areas. So there have been resurgences and, and as close uh, at hand as in Mozambique and Malawi over the early part of this year. And that was because of uh, introduction of wild type polio virus, which is really only circulating in sub, uh, South, Southeast Asia and in West Africa. And that is sort of attributed to uh, large sectors of the population not adhering to um, sort of government advisories to try and keep their children and the population up to date with their vaccination. Uh, vaccines are very important in terms of maintaining herd immunity. If we're able to maintain herd immunity, we will be able to disrupt the circulation of um, the, uh, the infection that we're trying to prevent through vaccination from uh, disseminating itself through the uh, population. Um, and it's when we've got disruptions in immune, in immune cover um, because people are not opting to vaccinate their children um, that we unfortunately do have resurgences of illness um, within the population. And as early as in March or, and April this year, there were wild type polio cases which were identified in Malawi and in Mozambique. Um, in response to that, um, the South African government has been quite active in trying to promote optimization of our, our and, uh, polio virus coverage so that we prevent uh, wild type polio from crossing the border into our country. Okay. I'm Cathy Kaler. This is Diskim Medical Monday, and I'm joined in studio by Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who has been very quiet up until now, <laughs> but I am going to come to you, and uh, Professor David Moore, who's an associate professor and academic head of pediatric infectious diseases at, at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. If you have any questions about vaccinations, perhaps you are traveling, perhaps you are going to a country that requires a vaccination, or you want to know what is required, then just send us a text. 34519 is the SMS line. Those SMSs are charged at 1 Rand 50. Alternatively, you can just jot down a quick little text on Telegram, and that number is 061-895-1019. Coming up, we're going to be talking about what you need to go where. That's coming up right after this. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Dischem, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kaler. Thank you so much for joining me for this Dischem Medical Monday. My two esteemed guests, Professor Lucille Bloomberg, she's an infectious disease specialist. Uh, she's from the South African Malaria Advisory GP, and uh, she's an honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. Also, we are joined by Professor David Moore. He's an associate professor and academic head of pediatric infectious diseases at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Witwatersrand. If you have any questions, you're welcome to send them through. And we are talking about vaccinations, what you need when you're traveling, but we're also going to be talking about infectious diseases. You know, we all live in this little, I don't know, we have this little orbit, right, where we kind of used to our environments. When you go outside of that, all of a sudden, you have to change the way that you do things. 
for example, if you're going to a country where or in a region where there is malaria, what time of the year are you going? We're going to be looking at all of that. So uh, if you've got any questions, you're welcome to send them through. 34519 is the SMS line or 061-895-1019. Professor Moore, I just want to, before I get to Professor Bloomberg, I just wanted to find out from you what sort of vaccinations do we need if we're traveling locally? Is there anything that we need to be vaccinated with in addition to the vaccinations we had as children? Thanks, Kathy. So in terms of the uh, the childhood immunization program, it's very robust and quite a, quite a wide range, uh, array of, of infections that we can prevent. Um, specifically for traveling, um, I think that I would advise that uh, one of the vaccines which is crucial and which is not included in the uh, the general immunization schedule for children, um, uh, but which is recommended to give every winter or ahead of each winter is the flu vaccine. Yes. Um, and this is recommended to be given to uh, children from six months of age upwards in order to prevent them from getting flu. We know from very uh, intricate epidemiology, uh, e- epidemiological studies, which have been done by Cheryl Cohen and her team working at the Respiratory uh, Research Center at the NICD, that the two age groups which are most at risk for severe influenza are children less than one year of age, as well as uh, adults older than 65 years of age. So we must make sure that we're um, up to date with our flu vaccines annually. And this is hopefully uh, another discussion or an invitation you'll give myself and Prof Bloomberg uh, an opportunity to join in the studio with ahead of um, winter next year, just to remind the audience how important the flu vaccine is. Um, So if one is traveling um, abroad into the winter season, it might be worthwhile to try and arrange for a booster of the flu vaccine. Um, There is a flu vaccine which is tailored specifically for the Southern Hemisphere, um, as well as one for the Northern Hemisphere. And the ingredients of these vaccines are um, arrived at at, uh, annual meetings at the World Health Organization. Um, I think Prof Bloomberg will give better in, insight as to whether it is possible for South Africans who may be traveling to Europe or the Northern Hemisphere um, would be able to access the, uh, the Northern Hemisphere uh, preparation of the flu vaccine ahead of their travel to, yeah. to, to those countries. Okay. So, uh, yeah, look, you know, one looks at the different strains, as I understand it, with the flu vaccination. So there's obviously a strain that's going to be dominant um, in the southern hemisphere. Th- that's what you're saying, and a strain, a different strain that would be dominant in the northern hemisphere. Is that correct? That's quite correct. And so, if you're traveling north, then you should try and get a booster of the northern hemisphere. Is that correct? Yeah. Ideally, if, if if it was available, okay. um, I'm not sure. If the, I'm not sure if there has been contingency ma- made in South Africa to make the Northern Hemisphere flu vaccine preparation available to us. Okay. But Prof Bloomberg will be able to answer for me. Okay, no problem. So, aside from that, what about tetanus vaccinations? Very good, que- uh, good question. Uh, the tetanus vaccine is administered to children intermittently during their first year of life and up to their um, sort of their sixth year of life where they get a booster dose 
And it is thought that the duration of protection achieved through a tetanus vaccine is uh, lasts for around 10 years. So um, it is recommended that uh, we um, receive a booster dose of the tetanus vaccine intermittently throughout our adolescence and adulthood. Um, and obviously, if one is going to be engaging in adventure sports or any um, activity where we may be at risk for injury, um, it might be worthwhile ahead of traveling to obtain a tetanus booster dose, um, especially if we have no record of within the past 10 years having us uh, um, received a booster. Yeah, let's face it. I mean, you know, maybe tetanus is something that we should be even if we aren't traveling, that we should be having because a prick on a on a thorn of a rose, it, it's it's just anything that can that can penetrate. And I mean, with superbugs, you know, does do we is there any way to protect ourselves from superbugs? Are, are there any such yeah. vaccinations? Am I just being um, very hopeful? No, no, no vaccines at the moment, but also but obviously in development and um, working very closely with. Professor Shabir Mahdi at the uh, Vaccines and Infectious Diseases Analytics Research Unit at WITS um, that are looking to try and develop um, vaccines against some of the multi-drug resistant organisms. And one of the new kids on the block block from that point of view is development of vaccines against a germ called Klebsiella pneumoniae, as well as the germ uh, germ that causes methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, which causes very severe disease and infections. Okay. Um, so those are two germs that they're developing vaccines against. A message coming through from Unscience says, Hi, Kathy. when do your experts think we will have a proper yearly vax, such as the annual flu shot, for COVID? <laughs> That's a great question, and thank you so much for sending that through. Can I address this to you, Professor Bloomberg? Yes, hello, good morning. And good hello, morning. And <laughs> hello, so David. So quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so m- hello, hello, David. So at the, at the moment, um, the no- some countries in the, uh, in the first world have introduced a, a kind of more updated COVID vaccine. We don't have that here, Nick, at the moment. I think um, check the countries you are visiting, see what vaccine requirements are in place for, um, for entry. Um, you know, some countries require you to have a certain number of vaccines. Currently here we have only what we've had uh, up to now, and there will be protection, particularly against severe disease um, from what is currently available. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and and when is it going to be an annual vaccine or biannual vaccine? I don't know. Get out yeah. your crystal ball and tell us. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it may sort of evolve in the same way that influenza has, has gone. Okay. But not at the moment. And maybe it becomes an yeah. annual an annual thing yes, that you have to but get. COVID is increasing and has, um, particularly in the northern hemisphere, um, not sure what our summer season is going to bring. Yeah. But And make sure, particularly if you've got comorbidities or an older age, that you are up to date with your COVID vaccines. We'll protect you even now against severe illness. You know, it's surreal. It's still yeah. surreal, yeah. even after two years. Yeah. Okay. All right. So in terms of COVID vaccinations, how many do we need? So I think at the, at the moment, it's, um, it's, it depends on what vaccine you've had yes. and what the normal schedule is. Okay. So I think we can post that on a nice website 
and uh, <laughs> this is the sure lady who's you... tired of talking about COVID. <laughs> no, no, no. We need to keep people safe. <laughs> no, um, anyway. but a, a, a false booster is probably uh, a good idea for for those who are okay. really at risk. This is actually a question for David. David, I saw a story um, coming from the Daily Mail this last weekend about a young girl who was. Um, she was absolutely fine. She was putting on a concert for her family. And 24 hours later, she had passed away from something called strep. What is strep? And is there vaccination? Thank you very much, Kathy. Yeah, so, um, yeah, a devastating story. Uh, terrible to hear of outcomes like that. Um, streptococcus uh, pyogenes is probably the strep that, that was uh, spoken about in this particular uh, instance, um, although there are numerous species of streptococcus. The other one that causes severe disease as well is streptococcus pneumoniae. But in terms of the rapidity of the deterioration in the particular case that was mentioned yeah. by yourself, um, it sounds more as though this child may have developed septic shock from uh, streptococcus pyogenes. And that is a very common uh, um, infection that causes um, at its very mildest spectrum, a tonsillitis, um, it can cause scarlet fever, but if it becomes invasive, it can elaborate toxins, which can proceed very rapidly to septic shock. And uh, this is a, a germ which we can't at, as yet protect against um, using vaccines. But once again, there are vaccines in development. And what you um, uh, find is that uh, what we've observed during the course of our COVID vaccine, uh, our COVID um, ep epidemic locally, is that many of the children that um, unfortunately um, succumbed to uh, COVID had invasive streptococcus pyogenes infection um, as an invasive infection in their bloodstreams. Yeah. So I think unfortunately we don't have a vaccine available against strep pyogenes. But the other important streptococcus, which I alluded to, streptococcus pneumonia, we most certainly do have a very effective vaccine, which helps to protect against 13 of the different serotypes of that particular um, germ. And that's one of the um, vaccines which was implemented into the South African Expanded Program on Immunization in 2009, and has had uh, tremendous impact in terms of limiting a severe illness in particularly young children across um, South Africa. So we've managed to bring those numbers of, of severe outcomes right down, thankfully, um, as a result of implementation of the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine rollout. I'm Cathy Kayla. This is Diskem Medical Monday. My guests are Professor David Moy, that's who you just heard. He's the Associate Professor and Academic Head of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Advertisrand, and also Professor Lucille Bloomberg, who we're going to get to now, and she's an infectious disease specialist. She works at uh, SA Malaria Advisory. She's a GP there, an honorary professor. No, she's not a GP there. <laughs> <laughs> SA Media Advisory GP and honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. Pretoria. And you, you're no stranger to High FM. Let's no, just put no. it that way. You know, a lot of interviews that we did with you around COVID. Uh, if we're traveling up Africa, what are the hotspots that we need to be aware of? So, for example, if we're traveling to, uh, say we're going to the, 
um, Mpumalanga area, right? And we're going to Kruger. That is part of Kruger that is a malaria area. But it's only at specific times of the year, or is malaria something that's okay. 12 months of the year? So let's, let's start with malaria. It's malaria season. The rains have come. People are traveling. The mosquitoes are busy. The parasites are ready. So I think uh, a, a major issue for this season is to be aware and protect yourself against malaria, and uh, particularly in children. So Mozambique is probably the number one destination um, that we see travelers returning from uh, with malaria. Kruger National Park, yes, there is some malaria. It's probably much, much lower risk, as is um, our, as our, our other malaria transmission areas in South Africa, very far north of KwaZulu-Natal, and then certain parts of Limpopo, um, and then low felt areas from Pumalanga. But number one would be Mozambique. So anybody traveling to Mozambique, particularly with children, should take um, protection, protective measures. Number one would be to protect against mosquito bites, Good old tabard lotion or peaceful sleep spray or lotion. Yeah, Kruger, uh, Kruger has a smell. Kruger National <laughs> Park has a it's, smell. It's it smells like peaceful sleep. <laughs> but it's, it's relatively yeah. low risk. I think for children, I would also add a prophylactic. And there is one of the prophylactics that has a pediatric uh, preparation can be used in children over 11 kilos. And I think for Mozambique, definitely. A lot mosquito of net. Oh, sorry. Yeah, mosquito net, sprays, coils, air conditioning. Um, and then I think very, very importantly to be aware of malaria. And this is for adults and children, all travelers. Uh, if you develop a fever, flu-like illness, child is a bit lethargic and, and febrile. It's not COVID. Well, it might be. Well, it might be. But the most important thing is to insist on a malaria test. People are not getting tested for malaria when they return from a malaria area and they've got a fever. They fub it off as COVID. And, they, and then they go for a COVID test and the COVID and test comes back negative. They say, well, it's just flu. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's a delay and uh, malaria is very unforgiving, treacherous and rapidly progressive. Can you survive untreated malaria? No, not from falciparum, the common parasite. And it's, you know, three, four, five days and you're in trouble. So insist on a malaria test if you return and you've got fever and inform your health practitioner. You know, people are not so aware of malaria anymore. And um, I think that's the number one advice that we can give for this season. Okay. We also, uh, a lot of people like myself, love hiking. And uh, something else to look out for, another parasite, it would be tick bite fever. So um, I think a parasite in the bigger terms, but yes. it's actually a bacteria transmitted by a tick. Um, same advice, long pants, light-colored clothing is very good for all of this. Oh, really? And you can apply, especially, you know, mosquitoes like attracted to dark colors and then apply some tick repellent same you know a tabard or peaceful sleep and then there are others and when you come back from a, um, a hike do a little tick hunt fever severe headache nightmares enlarged lymph node little spot with chills <laughs> chills little chills black spots sure. with uh, you, you sound like you've had it i have had the it. worst headache ever and um, also yeah. needs to be treated. But you just feel really, really yeah. ill. Also requires treatment. It's easy, doxycycline. Yeah. So protect against ticks. And then... Um, if you find a, ch a tick on your child, because yeah. often, you know, it's under the, the, the hairline, on the often back of the, the hairline, head. Yeah. Um, then what do we do? How do we remove the you tick? You uh, can take um, some tweezers and remove it very carefully. Make sure you get the whole one out. 
Yeah, and if we don't? No, you'll, you will have to get it out. <laughs> okay. How do we know if we get the whole one out? You can look. You'll see. Oh, you'll but be able to see yeah, that the yeah. head's not there? The head's not there, yeah. But protect against it. You know, tabard lotion, peaceful sleep. That's my go-to when I travel, as you can hear. Yes. Yeah. But malaria is number one. Let's not uh, miss malaria. And uh, well, Also because it can be mistaken for other things. Absolutely. COVID, influenza, everything else. Do people still die from malaria, they even die. though we know Absolutely. about it? Absolutely. And it's because they delay, and a, day, a delay of two, three days can make the difference. It's easy to treat when what it's it, early. What does malaria do to our body? It can affect any organ. So you can get cerebral malaria, and uh, it's, um, the, the red cells with the parasites in kind of stick to the vessels and obstruct the oxygen and nutrient flow. So basically your blood clots uh, in your where body. Where it shouldn't. Yes, where it shouldn't. <laughs> so it obstructs. So it's your brain, it's your lungs, it's your liver, your kidneys, it's everything. It's treatable early in the illness. Don't miss it. So give it. us the very early sy- symptoms, you said. So for, for children, it's often just fever, Yeah. Uh, not eating, sometimes vomiting, breathing fast. But fever is the most important. Uh, for adults, it's uh, fever, cold shivers, chills, hot sweats, muscle pain, headache. Um, don't miss malaria. Travel plus fever. Travel to a malaria area or residence in a malaria area. You've got to have a malaria test is it and get the result is immediately. It seasonal? It's now. It's okay. now. October when, to May. When is it safe and not high? When there isn't, what season is a low prevalence? It depends where you're going. Yeah. Mozambique is year-round. Uh, South Africa is probably September till the end of May. So we're in it now. So that's our summer months. It's our summer months, rainy months. Um, it's now. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Easy to treat early. You know it's what? I'm now quite neurotic. No, you don't have about to About <laughs> any child that has a fever. Well, you know, if they've traveled, they've been to a malaria area, must be checked for malaria. Insist on it and insist on the result and repeat it if it's negative. A lot of malaria prophylactics can't be taken during pregnancy. What do you recommend so for a pregnant, pregnant woman? pregnant um, th- there are only two prophylactics registered in South Africa. One is doxycycline, one is melanol, uh, or it's a combination of etovacrone, progranol. There are some generics. Neither can be taken in pregnancy. There is one, but it's not easily available and it's no longer actually registered here. Yeah. So pregnant women should go to Margate or Malmesbury or somewhere else. <laughs> go to the day spa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put your feet up. Yeah. Um, Carol weighing in, she says a dear friend went to Kruger in a, Decem- in a December and contracted malaria. Mm-hmm. It only came out in the April. That's interesting. I didn't realize it's got such a long... So mostly the... Uh, typically, incubation from bite to first symptom is a minimum of seven days. Yeah. It's usually two to three weeks. Yes. Sometimes with the uh, relapsing kind, uh, there are two. They're not that common. You can have a very mild illness and then the relapse later. Okay, that so sounds that's like this might have happened. Yeah. Um, so it only came. So her malaria only came out in the mm. April. All flu symptoms. So nothing was done, and it went to the brain, and she died. Very sad. Oh, it'd be nice to know more about that case. Just remember that uh, occasionally mosquitoes travel. Some are infected. They hop on a taxi or a, get into a suitcase. When they arrive in Johannesburg from wherever they come from, 
They're very hungry and they feed. And they don't speak the language. And yeah. yeah. So any unexplained fever, you know, just, just think about malaria. We have these taxi malarias. Not commonly. As I'm sitting here, I'm convinced mm. that I have malaria. No, you don't. You look perfectly well. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this happens every Disco Medical Monday. Whatever yeah. whatever disease we're talking about, I'm convinced I yes. have it. I mean, it made the, the show that I did on prostate cancer very interesting. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, Carol, maybe uh, just let me know if I can pass your contact details yeah. on to Professor Bloomberg, uh, who would be very interested to hear more about this case because she does i mean she's a foremost expert on malaria in south africa and uh, just seeing yeah malaria who would have thought why can't we eradicate it well we can eliminate it um, and many countries have and south africa actually has a program to try and eliminate which means getting rid of local malaria within a malaria area imported malaria different story so most of our malaria still comes from um from mozambique um, but it's, it's not that easy. Yeah. You see, it's very hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Just protect yourself and be aware of those symptoms. It's not COVID. If you've traveled, insist on a malaria test. I sound like a broken record, but there you go. No, but it's very important. Yeah. Do, you, you have, do you know that you have to hear something 120 <laughs> times in order to remember it? I will um, spare you the So rest. keep telling <laughs> us. <laughs> and tell us again and tell us one more time. Yeah. Uh, if you've got any questions, any comments you want to weigh in on the discussion, then please do. 34519 is the text line. Those text messages are charged at 1 Rand 50 at VAS rates. It means whatever your mobile provider um, charges you. You can also send me a telegram, which is free if you have Wi-Fi, and that number is 061-895-1019. We're talking about travel vaccinations and infectious diseases while traveling. My two guests are Professor Lucille Bloomberg. She's an infectious disease specialist, uh, South African malaria advisory GP, and honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. Um, we're also joined by Professor David Moore, who is an associate professor and academic head of paediatric infectious diseases at the Faculty of Health Sciences at WITS. So I just want to say the GP yes. sounds for group, stands for group, not for general practitioner. I oh, think so it, it was my abbreviation that I'm always oh, prone nice. to doing. You see, and this is, this is why we can't have nice things, Lucille. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> okay, it's a malaria group. Yeah. Okay, important. All right, so get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. This is your opportunity to access these two brilliant, brilliant experts in their fields. Do it and do it now. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. I'm Kathy Kayla. This is Discam Medical Monday, and a huge thank you to Discam for making this available. Uh, my guests in studio, Professor Lucille Bloomberg and uh, Professor David Moore. Professor Bloomberg is an infectious disease specialist. She's from the South African Malaria Advisory Group and an honorary professor at the University of Pretoria. It's only taken 44 minutes to get that one right. <laughs> and Professor David Moore also joins us. He's an associate professor and academic head of pediatric infectious diseases. And he's from the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. Uh, Lucille, can we just talk about other infectious diseases? Mm. As we're traveling, you know, once a while we hear about cholera or we hear about mm. rabies, or we hear about other infectious diseases, which you can't, well, I suppose rabies, you can, you can, um, yeah. you can have a, 
a vaccination yeah. against that. I mean, we take our animals annually to have their rabies. Yeah. So we don't routinely vaccinate um, people who are not working with animals for, for rabies. But you can do your children if you're living on a remote farm and it may be difficult to access prevention after they've been bitten by a, you know, a, a bat. Well, more likely a, a meerkat or a mongoose or a, or a, a dog. Or do they all carry rabies? No, or? they don't. No, not at all. So I think the, the important message is don't, um, you know, pick up a stray dog. And people do sell dogs in some of our provinces and you feel sorry for them. Don't, don't approach a, an animal that you don't know. Um, there, there always is that risk, particularly in there's outbreaks now in KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape. Um, we don't have rabies in our vervet monkeys. Children tease the monkeys. The monkeys go after food and then they get bitten. And that's not a rabies risk. That's probably normal monkey behavior, but that's not a risk. Um, I think if you're going traveling in Africa, perhaps a trans-Africa trip, or you're going to a more remote area, or on a safari that's going to involve lots of walking, um, it's not a bad idea to pre-vaccinate against a rabies. It's two shots. But as a routine, we don't normally do it. Somebody's bitten by an animal that they don't know, and the animal's beha behaving strangely. A jackal, for example, in a, in a game reserve that comes up to somebody and bites them, that's really uh, of great concern. Wash the wound, get vaccinated, and get to somewhere where you can get something called rabies immunoglobulin into the wound. It's very important to know that. Right, because there's also there's an incubation period. Yeah, and you want to get rabies. rid of that rabies before it enters a nerve. So will you already test positive? No, no, there's no test. So if you're, even if you're bitten by a monkey, no. you should get a rabies No, no, shot, there's no? no risk from the vervet monkeys. Okay. And what you normally Even find in Belita, because those no, are quite hard No, core. no, no, okay. <laughs> They are quite cheeky. They will go for children because they tease them, they're holding a banana, and then they run. And so, you know, they do get bitten. Or they're a little bit too um, friendly with the monkeys, and they will get bitten. That's not a rabies risk. That's... um. That's a normal animal behavior, to be honest. Don't feed animals. Or human behavior, rather, yeah. is that's a yes, problem. Yes, exactly. Don't feed animals that are, are not your own. Um, what same are with the, you know, those squirrels and dussies in the Cape Gardens. Oh, but they're so cute. Yes, but people get bitten. That's not a rabies risk. There isn't rabies there. It's are you telling me that when you've seen a dussy, you haven't wanted to pat it? Um, I, I keep my <laughs> <laughs> But don't adopt a dog that looks like it needs a home. Uh, on the beach, uh, off the side of the road. Okay, let's Please talk don't do that. Okay, what are the symptoms of a rabid dog? So it would be... Um, would they be foaming at the mouth? They might be foaming, salivating, wobbly on their legs. You know, puppies often have very few symptoms. I think the ants, and a wild animal, like a jackal, they come up to you. And we had an instance um, in July this year in uh, Itasha, actually. A, ja a jackal was in the camp, came up to a child was biting at things that weren't there, um, was quite tame, which is unusual, yeah. and I'm sure that was a rabid jackal. So the child didn't get the right prevention afterwards, um, and they should have come back to South Africa to make sure they got everything immediately. And they didn't. They didn't. But they're fine, and hopefully, you know, they will remain fine. Not every exposure results in, in rabies. So avoidance is much better. Okay. <laughs> And then um, other things about travel, I agree with uh, David about tetanus, particularly for adults. Um, I think people forget to do that unless they have an injury and they get it in the emergency department. Um, 
flu vaccine is not available here for the Northern Hemisphere, so that's, uh, that's not possible. Um, I think try and walk with shoes on the beach. Uh, I know that's difficult, particularly in um, beaches where there are lots of dogs. You can uh, pick up a whole lot of parasites. And then I think for children going to, older children, who, um, teenagers, adolescents who are going to camps, I think there's one vaccine that I think should be considered, and that's for meningitis. Yeah. So meningococcal disease is, is, is devastating, very rapid, causes meningitis or a infection in the blood. There is a vaccine that can protect against most of the strains. Um, it's not quite the time of the year. It's usually a winter, uh, more winter. But I think when there are young people coming together very closely, in a at our camps, no, definitely not. Well, <laughs> they wouldn't get involved closely. I think it's something. Oh, no, Lucille. <laughs> I think it's something to consider, and they're very yes. good vaccines that can provide, you know, very adequate protection. So that's a sort of nice to have. I think quite an important one if they can manage it. Not so free. You have to pay. The meningeal cockle. Meningo cockle. Meningo yeah. cockle. Yeah. Okay. Not uh, common. But um, it's vaccine preventable, and that's what we're talking and about. And how long would that be um, effective? Uh, it's, it's many years. Is it for lifetime? Well, it's not quite lifetime, but, but many years. And it's the, uh, the teenagers that are particularly at risk, um, coming together at a university, residence, in camps, you know, that I think um, there would be definitely an increased risk. Yeah, I think the rage, the raves and rages this week. I don't know what's going to come oh from gosh. that. COVID, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Kathy Kaler. This is Discare Medical Monday. And uh, my guests, we've been talking about travel vaccinations and infectious diseases while you're traveling. If you've got any questions, you've got about five minutes to to address them to my guests. But uh, as we wrap up, I would like to ask Professor David Moore. Uh, David, what would be a takeaway for us? From your point of view. Thanks very much, Cathy. Um, I think a, a point that you raised very early on in our discussion was the importance of um, encouraging uh, parents to vaccinate their children. Um, we know that vaccines are safe. They are very effective at, present, at preventing the infections that they have been designed to protect against. And we need to try and make sure that we achieve herd immunity um, so that we've got a population that's adequately vaccinated, has got antibodies that will prevent transmission of an infectious agent between members of the population. Um, You illustrated very nicely through our discussion earlier on the uh, difficulties in terms of uh, containing polio virus because some populations have chosen to opt out of routine vaccination services. And this has given rise to situations where wild type polio virus, as an example, can perpetuate itself inside uh, a population and disseminate across borders into um, other countries. So um, just important to under un, uh, sort of Uh, emphasize again that vaccines are safe, they're highly effective at preventing severe disease. And in terms of maintaining herd immunity, um, it's essential to make sure that our children are up to date with the recommended vaccination schedule. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. You know, you talk about polio 
and there's a brilliant documentary on YouTube about polio. And I learned a tremendous amount. One, I didn't know that polio was seasonal. So what was happening in the United States is that polio, the kids would go on their summer vacation and there would be the sense of trepidation because you never knew who was going to come back to school for the next year after the summer vacation. And a lot of kids obviously left paralyzed, some lost, lost their lives. One of those, uh, okay, well, so that's the first thing is that it was seasonal. Um, then you've got this president, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Mm. He was the 32nd president of the United States. He was diagnosed with uh, polio at the age of 39. It left him paralyzed from the waist down. And he had to use calipers, he had to use leg braces, and he made it his life's work, never mind being the president of the United States, he made it his life's work to find a cure for polio. Unfortunately, he never lived to see it. Um, mm. The polio treatment was developed by, uh, there were two scientists, it was a big race. It's a long involved story, not for now. Go and look it up in your own time on, on YouTube. But the point is this, that when I hear parents saying, well, you know what, I'm not going to give my child the vaccination because of this and there's no polio and there's no that. The only reason that you're questioning it is because you haven't seen how bad it is. When you see what polio can actually do to your child, it's not even a question that they would have the vaccination. So that's just me on my soapbox. But uh, we do actually have to wrap up. Professor Bloomberg, what... What's your takeaway that you'd like okay. to, to leave us with? I want to reaffirm David's message. Safe, effective vaccines. Yes. We're seeing measles outbreaks. COVID, um, I think, has led to many vaccines, routine vaccines not being given. You need to catch up as soon as possible. Of course, malaria. Protect yourself against mosquito bites and any fever in somebody's traveled to Mozambique and the areas I've mentioned, including the Kruger National Park, equals malaria until disproven. And that has to be a blood test or a rapid finger prick test. It's not COVID until you know that. And right. then don't touch animals you don't know. And um, be careful of uh, um, those that are, 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 are after your food. And then don't swim in rivers and dams that uh, oh, we didn't are even in discuss yeah, we didn't, yes. But we didn't even discuss Bulhazia. Yes, okay. So there's lots there. Um, but we can common travel. Sense. Take common that with sense. Common sense. We can travel safely. And... Uh, um, yeah. Pro Professor Bloomberg, before I let you go, uh, Peter is weighing in. He says, someone I know was bitten by a dog on his finger just over two weeks ago. He didn't have an anti-tet. Is there anything he should still do? His thumb doesn't look great. It doesn't ha he doesn't have medical aid, and your suggestion would be appreciated. Thank you. And that's from so Peter. Thanks, Peter. It depends where he is. Um, obviously, it, it, there may be an infection, a bacterial infection, that might need an antibiotic. He still should get a tetanus vaccine. It's not an expensive one. You can get it at your pharmacy. But, you know, without seeing the wound, it's quite hard to give advice. And if the um, tetanus would be, definitely be the starting Yeah, but it point. might need an antibiotic if it's not looking good. And then uh, rabies would really be a risk if it was an animal that was behaving strangely in an area where there's lots of rabies. And that's a different risk. Right. Right. And now a far more neurotic Kathy says... Thank you very much <laughs> to my wonderful guests. Thank you so much for joining me for this Discam Medical Monday. Wherever you go, travel well, travel safe. 
I hope that you have a wonderful, restful holiday. God bless, and I'll be back next week.